clip because it, it encapsulates something really clearly for me that we're going to talk about today. That is from an HBO series called Band of Brothers. Uh, it follows the most decorated company of soldiers in World War II. And in that particular episode or that particular story uh, from the show, uh, I, I discovered that whole series when I was in uh, college. And th this particular episode really resonated with me because I was learning something at the time uh, it, when I first started watching this show um, that you probably all know, we probably all know in this room, which is that life doesn't ever slow down. Have you noticed that? We may slow down for a time here and there, but life and, and sort of the demands of the world don't really ever let up or don't really ever stop. And in this particular episode, it sort of follows one of the, the medics from this company. And if you know anything uh, either about sort of military culture or like especially sort of World War II history and, and some of the details of that, uh, the medics were really respected in their group of soldiers as being people not only who cared for the physical needs of their fellow soldiers, but also for uh, just sort of checking in with people, making sure everyone and had what they needed, sort of listening to people as they said things. And, and so, so they were sort of the caretakers in a, in a broad sense of this whole group of people. And that really started to resonate with me when I was figuring this out in college, that life doesn't ever really stop. And as somebody who is like pastoral in temperament and has a little bit of a savior complex, that really resonated with me as well, of, of really understanding that there will always be needs. There will always be needs. There will always be things that feel like they are urgent and that I need to fix. I, need to, I, need, I can meet that need. I need to meet that need. Whether it's as simple as an email at work or whether it's as big as you know, a family member who's in crisis. There will always be needs. And the reason that this really spoke to me and why I wanted to show this clip this morning is because what I started to recognize is that unless you are taking this time occasionally to sort of duck below the chaos sort of jump into the foxhole, if you will, right? And as you're taking this, this time, as C.S. Lewis says, to come in out of the wind occasionally and be still and be quiet with God, then you're going to be totally ineffective in all the needs and the pressing, urgent things that come your way every single day. And I don't know if you caught this in that clip, but when that guy jumps in his foxhole, he actually pulls out a rosary and begins praying the prayer of St. Francis, which is uh, written by St. Francis of Assisi in the 1300s, and he, he writes this prayer that says, God, let me bring light to darkness where there is hatred, let me sow love. And then, and then he starts to say, may I seek not to be understood, but to understand. May I seek not necessarily to be loved, but to love. And it's just, it's just a prayer that we'd be able to serve. And this really resonated with me as, as something that is so essential for us, that if anything in our life is to be effective, is to, is to be healthy, is to be full of life, then we must from time to time on a regular basis duck below the chaos, duck below all the, the, the bombs that are exploding and all the urgent cries for help and get alone and still with God, sort of in our foxhole, if we can use that metaphor. Because you never know when you're going to get the next cry for help, when the next email is going to pop up. We've got to take that time to be still, to come in out of the wind and be with God. And that's sort of what we're going to talk about the next two weeks. Today, I'm going to start by making an apology. And I don't mean like, I'm so sorry, apology. I mean an apology, like an apologetic. I am going to try to convince you that we need this foxhole time with God all the time. We need it every single day. I'm going to try to convince you of that today. And so today will be a lot of like ideas and thoughts and theories, and then next week we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts. 
Next week, we're going to talk about practical things. We're going to talk about prayer and how it is that we pray and what prayer does and, and how, how can we can approach prayer in a real way with God. And then scripture reading. How do we read the Bible in a way that we can commune with God? So we're going to today talk about our need to commune with God, and then next week we're going to talk about how to commune with God. I hope you're up for that. We're going to start reading the Bible here in just a moment, but let me, before we open the word, pray for our time together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are here with your people. Thank you that we get to gather in your name and hear from you through your word. I ask that as we open the Bible, that you would speak to us through your spirit, that you would change us through a powerful encounter with your word and your presence. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. You can open your Bible to chapter 4 of the book of Luke. That's where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 4. And as you're going there, I'll say that for some of you, you may be thinking something that I've thought from time to time over my life as well, which is that this idea of having this this quiet time with God or this foxhole time where we're sort of alone and still with God, praying, reading the scriptures, sort of this quiet time, that may be to you, you may think, well, sure, that's valuable, but aren't we supposed to be in God's presence all the time? Aren't we supposed to bring God into every part of our life? And the answer is absolutely, right? The Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. We constantly commune with God and bring him into our everyday, everything that we're doing. But what we find out as we start reading in Luke chapter 4 here in a moment is that this sort of special set-aside, isolated time with God, or what we might call our quiet time or our devotional time, that time is something that Jesus actually does by example, and we are meant to follow his example. It's something he calls us to through the way he lived his life. So let's look at what this looks like for Jesus, this quiet time, this stillness, this foxhole time, okay? So this is Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 38. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon's another name for Peter, one of his disciples. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So Jesus sees a need, he meets the need, he does the work, okay? Verse 40, at sunset, the people, who brought Jesus, the people brought Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So, what happens? Jesus goes to a town. He just arrives. They get to the place where he's staying. He sees there's a need. He meets that need. And you'd think, okay, he did the job, now he can just chill for a while. He can just relax. No, what happens? Word gets out, and people come with more needs. Have you noticed this? When you do one thing well, your reward is usually to get 17 more things that you get to do well. (laughs) Have you noticed that? For Jesus, it's very true. He does one thing well, and then everyone comes and says, I hear that you can heal us. Please heal me right? And so there's all these people, and it's after sunset. It's at night. He's working late into the night. There's a spot in, um, in the book of Mark where this story is retold, and uh, I, think, I think it's chapter 3 in the book of Mark. And what, what happens is all these people come, and the author, John Mark, he says uh, that the people were crowding around them so tightly that they couldn't even sit down and eat. The apostles and Jesus couldn't even sit down and eat. Have you ever been so busy with all your to-dos and all your needs to meet that you haven't had time to eat? Jesus knows. Jesus knows the feeling, right? He can, he can empathize with that. So Jesus is healing people late into the night. He's contending with demons. You think you have a hard job. He's contending with demons. He's casting demons out of people. He's just fighting the powers of darkness. He's healing people's bodies late into the night. Must be exhausted. And look at the next verse. Verse 42, at daybreak, 
Jesus went out to a solitary place. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, I don't know about you, but when I work a long day, and I work really late, and I work really hard, what do you usually want to do in the morning? Sleep in, if you can, right? right? I want to get as much sleep as I can, because, oh man, i got to recover. Something for Jesus was more important even than sleep. Is sleep good? Absolutely. The book of Psalms says, in vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, because the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. Sleep is a gift. It's something that God has invited us to do. Sleep is important. But Jesus seems to be showing us that there's something even more important for his mental health and spiritual well-being. There seems to be something even more important than getting an extra hour of sleep. So Jesus gets up at daybreak when the sun is just starting to rise. He goes to a solitary place. Notice that word solitary. Jesus who's a man of the people. He's here to heal people, to meet needs, to teach people the way. And he chooses to get alone, to go be solo with his father. It's really important, I think, for us to, to recognize that even though we are meant to do good works and to love our neighbors and to do all these things in the world, we need to be getting alone with the father. What does is, what is solitary look like for you in your life? Well, it could look, could look like really being solitary. It could look like going on a hike on a Monday, right, by yourself or whatever, right, or whatever your day off is. For me, it's Monday. I forget that most people don't have Monday off. Uh, but whatever it is, right, you might go, go on, on your own somewhere. I know somebody who does their quiet time with God in the car, like drops their kids off, sits in their car, does their quiet time. That's their solo, solitary place. It could be as simple, in our hyper-connected world, solitary could be as simple as leave your phone in the other room. If you still have a landline, take it off the hook, 20, 30 minutes, I promise it'll be okay. If you have little kids, it might look like getting up 15 to 20 minutes before your kids just so you can dedicate the day to God. It could look like any of these things, being solitary, alone with your Father God. So Jesus goes out to a solitary place, which seems a little crazy because there's all these people that need his help, right? In fact, look, here they come. In the next part of verse 42, the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They're like, no, we need your help. We need you to stay. Where were you? We were looking for you. We came early in the morning to the house. We were going to wake you up and have you heal us, but we couldn't find you, so we found you here. We need your help. Please help us help. There's all this urgency, and they need, they have a genuine need, right? They're not doing anything wrong. They're going, let's see, I have a need. Jesus can meet that need. Let's go, let's go ask him to meet our need. They're not doing anything wrong. They're asking Jesus to help them. But Jesus, right, has still chosen, even though he knows there's needs to be met, to be alone with his Father. That seems a little bit crazy to us. But I think it makes sense if we really think about the way Jesus' priorities and his life was ordered. He had a very specific list of priorities, a very specific way that he ordered his life and the things that he, he cared about most. And I think it's really well expressed in Matthew 22 when one of the teachers of the law asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? From the Old Testament, he's thinking about all the Torah, all the law in the Old Testament, and Jesus responds, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, often when we hear this, we go, oh, Jesus gives us two commands, and they're sort of equal. Now, they're certainly inseparable, right? Can you love others without loving God? Truly? No. Can you love God if, if your life with other people is a mess and you're cruel to others? You're probably not truly loving God and really receiving his love, right? They're connected, but are they equal? Notice Jesus makes a very clear distinction. He says, we have number one and number two. 
Number one priority, number two priority. He has a first order calling. And many of us take our second order calling, which is loving our neighbor, and we make it the first order calling. When I finish doing all these things for all these people and doing everything right in my life, then I'll go get alone with God. But what is Jesus' first order calling, his first priority? It is a loving relationship with the Father. Now, why is that? There's people, there's a crowd of people literally right there who need his help. So why does he choose to go be alone with God? I think it's because he knows that God, as the creator, is also the source of all love, of all healing, of all peace, of all growth. And he needs to be alone with God to to be in loving relationship with him, to first of all be reoriented into that relationship, and then to have his stores of love replenished. See, we will be useless in the world at loving other people if we're not first receiving the love of God. He initiates love. The very act of creation is an act of love, right? God outpours love. He overflows with love. The the apostle John actually says God is love, and so we must be with this loving God, receive his love if we are ever going to have any sort of impact in the world. Jesus knows, yes, there are needs to be met, and yes, they matter, and these people matter, but my first order calling is a loving relationship with the Father, and he reorients himself into that relationship. See, when I go get alone with God, I start to remember, oh yeah, I'm not God. It's not all up to me. God is the source. He is the creator. He, he is the one that has the power to make things right. And I also begin to get my, my deficit of love that I have. Maybe, maybe I've spent all my love through the day, right? I get, I get it restored, refilled, replenished. See, the first movement that we experience when we get alone with God in that quiet time, in that, in that foxhole time, that was a hard cap to get off. The first movement we experience is that God reorients us in right relationship with him, and we remember who is God and who is the source of all that we need, and we get our stores of love and power replenished. When we come to God, the first thing we recognize is, oh yeah, you are God, I am not, you are my loving Father, I receive your love, and we become, we, our stores of love get replenished in that experience. And this is the first thing that happens when we come to God, and that's, I think, why Jesus comes to God, is to recognize that God is really doing something. God the Father has a plan, and Jesus just wants to be used, wants to be part of that plan, right? As the Son of God, he wants to be living on that mission and part of that. But he has to get alone with God to have it all, that reorientation of father, son, father, son. If you read the Gospels, Jesus really views himself uh, primarily, his identity is rooted in his relationship to the father. Could you say the same is true of you? Sometimes I could, but sometimes not always, right? Sometimes I'm, I'm like, man... I really think of myself as, you know, a preacher or somebody who works in ministry or an artist or a friend or whatever, but is my primary identity that of my loving relationship with the Father and receiving his love? Because unless we are being poured into, then we are serving the world out of emptiness. I think that's often where we end up. So Jesus goes and he gets alone with the Father 
And then verse 43 says, but he said, Jesus said to them, so they're like, don't leave, don't leave, we have needs. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So what happens in this moment, right? So Jesus goes, he gets alone with the Father, he gets reoriented, reoriented, rerooted in that relationship, and then people come and they say, we have needs. Here's like 12 needs we need you to meet right now. Quickly, quickly, don't leave, stay here, we have needs. And once these needs are met, we're going to have more needs. We need you to stick around and meet our needs. Urgent, 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 urgent. But Jesus was able to duck below all that noise, coming out of the wind, all that chaos. And when he emerges from that time, what does he say? He says, this is actually not my mission. This is not mine to take care of. I need to go do this other thing. All these needs you have are important, they matter, but I need to go do this other thing instead. When he emerges from that time, what's what's going on there, I wonder? And I think we get a clue from something Jesus says about a dozen times in the four Gospels. He says it in many different ways. And this is is just one example of it. This is John chapter 8, verse 28. Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Jesus says over and over again to people, he says, okay, you hear what I'm saying? I want you to know that I'm not speaking my own words, I'm speaking the words of the Father. Or, or he says, you want to know what I'm doing? Well, I'm actually not doing my own actions, I'm only doing what the Father has told me to do. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you could honestly say that of yourself? If you could honestly say, I'm only speaking what God has told me to speak, or as the Apostle Peter says, uh, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaking the very words of God. Could you honestly say that I, I, whenever I do something, I'm doing it because God has told me to do it. He has empowered me and sent me to go do it. See, in that time alone with God, when we get reoriented in loving relationship with him, and we get love replenished deep in our souls, the next movement that happens in that solo time with God is that our mission and our purpose for every day and our whole lives gets refined. And all those things we don't get to, need to do, all the things that are God's to take care of and not ours, we are released from those things. God says, this is what I have for you right now, today, this morning. This is what I need you to do. This is who I need you to be. And all these other things that feel urgent, I've got them. So Jesus is faced with real needs, real people right in front of them. And because he's in right relationship with the Father and he's receiving love and he's letting God refine and release for his mission, he is able to look at these needs and say, these matter, God will take care of them. I have this short list of things God has given me to do and I need to go do it in this direction. He's letting God be God and he's letting God refine his mission, his purpose, his to-do list and to release him from all the things that just can be left to the Father. So Jesus takes this time alone with God and emerges in this rooted relationship with the Father and really on mission in a clear way. There's another thing I think that's happening here. In fact, we get a clue to it by the fact that Jesus works late and then gets up early. For him, he's after something that goes deeper than relaxation or sleep right? He's after something that the Bible actually talks about as as something much deeper, something called rest. 
And if we flip over to Mark chapter 6, we're going to look there for a minute. Mark chapter 6, Jesus talks again and again about this quiet time, getting away with God, getting alone with the Lord. And he says actually, he says it very, very clearly in this passage. So in Mark chapter 6, what has happened is Jesus has sent out 12 disciples, and he sent, or sorry, 72 disciples. He sends them all out, including the 12, sends them out, and they, he, they are preaching the word, they are teaching, they're healing people, they're casting out demons, they're doing the work of Jesus. Okay, they're doing the work of Jesus. Then they come back after a time and report back to him. And listen to what happens in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance even to eat, there it is again, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So Jesus is not only modeling this still quiet time with God, he is also commanding it to his followers. He's saying, come away with me by yourselves, get some rest. And this can be a confusing subject for us, right? Because when we think of rest, we think of like, well, then I should sleep in and I should watch Netflix and I should eat my favorite food and I should... Jesus isn't talking about relaxation. He isn't talking about a day off. Jesus is talking about Moments within every day and moments within every week and moments within every month, moments where we have deep soul rest with him. Those other things might provide sort of like a light dozing off, right? But he's after deep REM sleep of the soul. And he wants you to come into his presence and be in that right relationship to the Father, to be filled, replenished with the Father's love, to have your to-do list sort of refined and all the needs refined, your mission and your purpose in today and then your whole life refined and be released from all these other things so that you can finally breathe out and finally rest in his presence and in his love and have any burdens or weariness restored. There's a famous passage where Jesus talks about this really clearly. This is in Matthew chapter 11. It says this, come to me, all you who are weary. Notice it doesn't say go get away by yourself. No, no, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, we'll, we'll, we will rest. We'll have a deep rest of the soul. And notice, this is really interesting to me, that he not only wants to rest, have us rest and restore, but there's something in here about learning. So the, the third movement that happens in our time when we are with the Lord, when we're, when we're sort of in that solitary place, in the foxhole, having that quiet time with him, is he gives us rest. And any place in us that's weary or burdened, he restores. And we're suddenly at peace, suddenly able to breathe freely suddenly not worried about what we need to do when we get up from this quiet time. Finally, we're not thinking about when I'm done reading this passage, then I will X, Y, Z. Finally, we're present, we're resting, we're with the Lord in the stillness and in the quiet space. And in that moment, he wants to teach us something. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You get this image, this yoke, right? Like a yoke of oxen pulling the plow 
You think of like a double, a double yoke of an oxen on each side, and you think of Jesus in one side and you in the other side, and you're sort of moving along and watching and learning his movements, learning his steps. How does he do this? How's he? And so he's actually pushing us along, which is why the yoke is easy and the burden is light. In the place where we are finally rested and restored and present with God, because we've gone through all of these movements, we've reoriented ourselves, we've been replenished with the Father's love, We've, been, we've had our to-do list and our mission refined. We've been released from all the things that are God's to worry about and not ours. We are resting in his presence. He is restoring our weariness and our burdenedness. In that place, he wants to teach us and, in fact, impart to us a new kind of life, which is, in fact, his life. This place where we are finally rested and present with God is the place of personal transformation. That is how God gets into your heart and begins to change who you are and to impart to you a new kind of life, the Christ life. And it all begins in this quiet, still, set-apart time to commune with God, to duck below the chaos, and to be still, and to pray, and to be present with God. So he wants to impart to us this new kind of life, which Jesus talks about all through the scriptures. And sometimes when he talks about it, I don't know about you, but I sort of skim past it as like, that's really poetic and interesting, but it sounds really foreign to me, really other, really different, like it's just too much for me to grasp. But Jesus says that over and over, he talks about the kind of life we can have in him. He often describes it as living water or or streams of water. One of my favorite passages in all of the four gospels is John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Does that describe your life? As a follower of Jesus, does that describe your life? If I'm being honest and I ask myself that question, I say, I have my days. But Jesus wants to impart to us a kind of life that is so potent, so real, so restorative in this parched and dry world that it is best to be described as streams, rivers of living water flooding out from our soul. Does that describe your life? When someone asks you how you are, What do you most often say? Oh, I'm good, but I'm busy, right? Good, but I'm tired, but I can't complain, you know? When was the last time somebody asked you how you're doing and you're like, I just feel like I have streams of living water flowing from within me, nourishing everyone around me. I want you to know Jesus says these sorts of things about the life he wants to impart to us. He says them so many times because it's hard to believe that he means it, but he does and he means it for every single person, not just spiritual giants. He wants his spirit to get inside you, fundamentally change who you are, and so that you become the kind of person who the spirit is just flowing out of. He wants you to be a person who communes with his presence and lives by his power. This is the final movement that happens in our quiet, still half an hour with God in the mornings as we experience his presence. We are finally present with him and he imparts to us his power. If we want to be people who live by his presence, 
Live by his power, streams of living water. I want you to know the answer is not, as we so often think, some system of living. For me, I often think if I just get the right system down, if I just read the right book and get the right nuts and bolts, or if I arrange my schedule appropriately, or if I finally get all my family chaos figured out, or like right now I'm in the middle of moving, and it's crazy. It's insanity, right? You go, you've all moved before. It's crazy. And man, I'm like, if I can just get moved in, and the, the Spirit keeps telling me this week, that is not the answer. Getting your house perfectly arranged and getting settled in and sitting on the couch, ah, I'm finally in, right? That is not the answer. It's a good thing, but it is not the answer. The answer is not a system, it's not a formula, it is not a certain way of organizing your life or your space or your family or your work. That is not the answer. What is the answer? It is the presence of God and his power imparted to you through these still, quiet moments where we duck below the chaos and we just commune with him. I want you to know that every time in my life I've experienced a personal renaissance, I hate that phrase, but we're going to use it, a personal renaissance, and I don't just mean in my spiritual life, but when all the pieces of my life seem to be growing and flourishing and seem to be falling into place, every time I've experienced that, it has begun in the foxhole. It has begun with these four movements of being in the presence of God. Every time in church history that a revival has swept a nation or swept the world, I think of the, the Great Awakening in America or, or the Wesleyan revival in, in England. Any time a revival like this has occurred, it has begun by somebody getting on their knees in a private room, being still with God, and the Spirit is imparted to them, and they begin to live in the presence of God and by the power of the Spirit. This is how God transforms us, and this is how God transforms the world. We have to get alone and commune with God. It is where everything else begins. But Ben, I'm too busy. Then you're just too busy. Cut something out. But, but Ben, I have too many important things. Jesus was battling with demons. Can you beat that? <laughs> he got up early. He went to a solitary place. These four movements are not something that he wants us, this quiet time with him is not something that he just suggests it's going to make you feel better. It's something he shows us and speaks about as the foundation of our life, not just our spiritual life, but of our life. And if we don't do this, we are running on empty, and we cannot create, we can only destroy in the long run, in the long run. There's this book I've been reading lately that has been really powerful for me. If you're in my life group, you heard me talk about it twice now. But what ha this book I've been reading, uh, I actually listened to the audiobook through, and then I read the whole book through, and now I've started over with a pen in my hand, taking notes and working through it. This book is very powerful, and it speaks about a lot of this stuff and how God wants to transform us from the inside out. It's a book by a guy named Dallas Willard. The book is called The Renovation of the Heart. I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in letting Jesus transform their lives. The Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. And there's so many, I feel like I could just put the whole book up on the screen and we could read through it and it'd be great, but we're not going to do that. I, did, I do have a quote that I want to share that really sort of speaks to this process of being transformed in the still space with God uh, from this book. Dallas Willard says this, T.S. Eliot once described the current human endeavor as that of finding a system of order so perfect that we will not have to be good. Uh, I think many times in our lives, we, uh, we sort of think, okay, if I just get my family organized and we're communicating correctly, and if my schedule looks right, and if I just get caught up on all these things, and all these systems are in place, and the, the system of order is good, then, then I, I'm good to go. I can sort of just coast through. That's sort of what a lot of us are looking for. 
The way of Jesus tells us, by contrast, that any number of systems, not all to be sure, will work well if we are genuinely good. What he's trying to say is, Jesus isn't after fixing the elements of your life. He's after changing you fundamentally and transforming your heart and imparting a new kind of life to you. And then we are free to seek the better and the best system of of living. This impotence of systems, or like trying to impose a system that's going to fix everything, is the main reason why Jesus did not send his students out to start governments or even churches as we know them today, which always strongly conveys some element of human system, right? Like if the church just, if we, if we as the church just sort of figure out the right ministry plan, then we're all going to get it right and we're going to be great. But they were instead to establish beachheads of his person, word, and power in the midst of a failing and futile humanity. Those beachheads of person, word, and power, that's us. In the midst of a failing and futile humanity, they were to bring the presence, the presence, remember that word, presence, of the kingdom and its king into every corner of human life simply by fully living in the kingdom with him. If you're like me, you're passionate about seeing the kingdom come in the world, as in you want, you want all this hatred and animosity and brokenness and ruined lives, you want it all to be healed and done away with. Where does that come from? It comes from beachheads of his person, word, and power in the midst of a failing and futile humanity. We have to be people who spend time in the presence of God so that we can live his presence and his power in the world. We have to be those kinds of people. Or else, we participate in the failing and futile humanity. Now, that might sound a little bit depressing, right? Like, great, cool, so we're not doing so well. Maybe you are, I don't know. But wherever you're at with the Lord, whether you spend time with him every day, or whether you spend time with him maybe once every so often, or maybe you've never spent time with him, this is a call to get alone, get quiet with the Lord, just to talk to him to open his word and see what it has for you, to spend time and ask God's presence to come be with you and to see what that does to the rest of your life. This central anchor point of your relationship to God, see to it that that is right, that that is healthy, and everything else will begin to follow, will begin to grow, will begin to take shape around that. So I encourage you this week to think about how does your life, what does your life look like? Is it oriented around this foxhole time, this still quiet space with God? Or is, is that something that you sort of squeeze in when you maybe have time, when you can press pause on the to-do list long enough? I encourage you to think about that this week, and next week we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts. What can that time look like? How do we pray? How do we read the Bible? How do we commune with God? What would, what would a half an hour every day actually look like? I encourage you to think about that this week and to let God speak to your heart to draw you into this quality time with him. I'm going to pray and then we'll continue in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence, for your power. I ask that this week we would all feel the call in our hearts, whether we spend time with you every day or not, we would feel the call to go deeper in relationship with you one-on-one. And that maybe we start, we just start trying a practice of spending time with you today, tomorrow, the next day. Or that maybe we choose to, to sort of have more time in our, in our quality time with you, to not let it be rushed, to not do it on the go, to really get alone. 
Whatever it is, Lord, I ask that you would call us deeper into our loving relationship with you as our Father, and that that would begin to transform our hearts and in turn transform our lives so that we can become the kinds of people who live in your presence and live by your power. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.